Today's guest on the show is Jamie Roz, CEO of Midway Swiss Turn, a small precision machining job shop in Worcester, Ohio. Around a quarter of Midway Swiss Turn's business is supplying the U.S. Department of Defense. While supplying the DoD can be a lucrative opportunity for a manufacturer, the work comes with some hurdles to overcome, including acquiring a cybersecurity maturity model certification, commonly referred to as CMMC. On today's show, Jamie is going to discuss how a small manufacturing company gets CMMC certified how that has affected her company, and what it's like to be a small machining business supplying to the DoD. This is Swarfcast, the podcast for professionals in precision machining. I'm your host, Noah Graff. Today's podcast is brought to you by Graf Pinkert. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graffpinkert.com. That's www.graffpinkert.com. I am honored to be with Jamie Roz, CEO of Midway Swiss Turn in Worcester, Ohio. Welcome to the show, Jamie. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It is a pleasure. Today, we're talking about cybersecurity, particularly for companies that supply parts to the government, uh, the DOD. And Jamie has become somewhat of an expert on this topic recently because her company has needed to do this because it's a pretty significant customer of theirs, the Department of Defense. So first, before I go into the specific topic, I just want to get, you know, the the three-minute description of Midway, just to give some people context. Oh, sure. So we are a small, what we call job shop. We run um, citizen specifically Swiss screw machines. We make precision turned parts is our industry. Uh, We work for a variety of different industries. We have about 11 people here and we started, my father-in-law started the business in 1975. And it's slowly grown over the years uh, with both of his boys then joining the business. And then I joined and um, my kids are already starting to work here as well. So um, during the COVID slowdown, we recognized that um, we were going to need to expand a little bit. And we started looking into doing more government work, at which point we became familiar with CMMC. That's how we got here. And you'd say that government work, in some respects, it's a little bit less cyclical than other work. And that's one reason why you went there. Yeah. So with government work, especially for small businesses, 
Um, a lot of times when the government gives a contract out to their primes, um, they have small business, uh, veteran-owned business, disadvantaged business, women's-owned business. They have what's called set-asides for those, um, where they specifically want a certain amount of that work to go to these small, disadvantaged, women-owned um, types of businesses. So there's always work available. That's really cool. It is. It is cool. So what is the prime? What is the prime versus what you guys do? The prime are the people who are like the tier one for the gov? Yep. Yep. They're tier one. So they get the entire project. It's the, uh, you know, it's they're they're going to order the fighter jet from this company. That's the prime. Usually the primes don't make all of the parts, the widgets, the nuts, the bolts, everything for that, that particular project. They so outsource. they outsource it. And part of that outsourcing then um, is usually designated in their contract to go to, if possible, um, these smaller businesses or, I like that they call it the set asides. Yeah. That's is that like the official term or is that the I, informal term? I don't know. That I don't know. That's what it, that's what it's always been called by um I like our our circle our our um, manufacturing base, but uh it, that's that's what we call. Can you be a uh the tier 1, the direct to the government and be a set aside and get priority that way or is the set aside really only for the people supplying to the primes? Um I don't know for sure, but I think there are programs specifically for these small disadvantaged women-owned, veteran-owned companies, um, even as a prime. Uh, we have done work directly with the government, with the DOD before as well. I know that as a whole, the DOD is looking to make sure that a certain amount of the business gets into these these smaller smaller businesses. Cool. Well, you're not an official owner, so how do, you, how do you be a set-aside? Um, because uh, we're a small business, so we meet that. And then two of our owners are, vet- are veterans. So we, we meet it on, on two different two different sides. That's pretty cool. Kudos to the government for having, you know, a little bit of equal opportunity policy there. Yep. What do you make for the government? What kind of parts? Well, we're not really allowed to tell you that. <laughs> so what I can tell you I mean, you what is, do they go into? Um, they're... You can't. <laughs> I really am, shouldn't be talking okay. about that. Okay. Nope. Um, so that means it must be interesting. It is very interesting. Yes. It's a. It's. I tell you, but I have to kill you type of thing, right? Whoa. Um, <laughs> so we're we're not supposed to talk about the parts we make. They are considered sensitive, and some of them are ITAR based, which is a whole other program that the government has for uh, keeping that information within the United States and safe and secure. But they are precision turned parts and they're important to our defense base and that's that's what we need. Okay. And a quarter of your parts go towards the DOD approximately and what other sectors do you make parts for? Um we're pretty diverse. So I would say we really make for or have made parts for all sectors. Uh part of our strategic plan is to um always have that diversity. Um, we do some automotive, medical, aerospace, um, ag, home, pretty much um, any industry that's out there, we've made a part that goes into it. Um, we keep that diversity so that when one particular sector is struggling, say automotive, it doesn't bring down our whole shop. That and, is very you know, smart. Most, yeah, most industries are cyclical, so they'll have their ups and downs. And that's how we kind of protect ourselves from those, those cycles. Very interesting. Okay. So cybersecurity, this has become a priority for your company. It has. It seems like you've, you know, you've done quite a bit of research and you know the climate of it. How do you see the climate 
of cybersecurity overall for manufacturing in the United States? You know, I'm not an expert, even though you claimed I was one earlier. I'm not. I uh, I don't know technology. I'm I'm not an IT person. Okay. Um, but I try to surround myself with experts. That's the key. Um, for us, the importance of CMMC. There's um, it, it's kind of a twofold thing. Uh, anything that we do, we're a business. It has to be financially, you know, profitable for us, right? So we look at it from that standpoint. We can capture some additional business with within the DoD. Um, the other side to that is just good business practices, whether you're doing DOD work or not, securing your data, whether it's sensitive stuff for our military or a product for one of your other customers, a, a new medical product, a new, it, it could be anything. You know, we have a responsibility to protect that data for all of our customers as these hackers and nefarious people learn more and more that it's much easier for them to ab obtain all kinds of financial information, data, and a ton of different ways. So we have an obligation just as a manufacturing base to protect that for all of our customers. And then also for ourselves, you know, if you get a ransomware attack, it can shut down an entire, an entire business. Now it's your nuts. machines are out on the floor. Yeah. You're not running. You don't know what's going on all that kind of stuff. So it's just good business practice as well as the threats increase out there. Sure. I mean, you know, China is stealing planes for They are. fighter jets and Yep, F35. Uh it came to light in about 2015 with the release of some of the Edward Snowden type documents that China had um stolen a lot of that information from us. They were estimating they were stealing it back as far back as 2006. Uh, primarily using um, the spear phishing technique through emails. So, you know, it wasn't the big companies like Raytheon or Boeing or, some, or, Boeing or something. It was small to mid-sized companies that were very naive, unprotected. Um, it was very easy to get that information from them. Interesting. So we have a responsibility, first of all, for everybody. And the government is requiring that you are CMMC certified, correct? requiring if you're handling certain sensitive information. So the government has a lot of projects out there for everybody. You could be making nuts and bolts for a filing cabinet. That's not going to probably require any type of certification. Okay. But when you look, when you narrow it down to more of the DOD, which is the Department of Defense, and now you're looking at weapon systems and that kind of stuff, um, that's really where you're going to see a lot more of that. Um, and not just things that are manufactured, but you have to look at the broader scope too, the software that people use. Uh, think about all the software and the programs, the computers that are in um, our government's um, facilities. Like, so CMMC is going to apply to a lot of those um, types of industries as well. What does CMMC stand for? It is Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification. Okay, so getting this certification it's a bit of a a rigmarole if i'm it is correct it is a lengthy and detailed journey i'm going to call it a journey and it never is going to end um right. you know cybersecurity threats are continuously they're coming out with you know the latest and greatest things so there is a, a process that you have to go through. There's um, about 117 standards that are based on some um, NIST recommendations, which the, uh, the NIST recommendations have been in place for the primes for a long time. And it is the kind of the basis for that cybersecurity. 
when they rolled out the CMMC program, it expanded it to not just the primes, but anybody who's going to touch those products that are sensitive now, or uh, what they call CUI. CUI is, stands for Controlled Unclassified Information. So the government already has a process for if you're handling classified information. Mm. But there was a lot of sensitive projects, parts, documents that they weren't classified, but they're still kind of sensitive. And that's where the CUI comes into place. So it's still a controlled piece of information or data. And um, so CMMC really expanded from just the primes being part of that to anybody who touches uh, this data now. Right. And so that really affects the you know smaller to medium size. Yeah. It affects the down chain, the downstream, the sub tiers, um, you know, the subprimes, however you want to classify them. But it, it's now the whole supply chain instead of just the primes. Okay. So you need all this, complete all this paperwork, which is a pain. However, I mean, it's got the bright side and that other people don't want to do it. And yes. And it also helps with your other businesses. I mean, you know, with your other sectors too, because you can then brag to them about, you know, how secure you are. So what are some of the ways you can get assistance for it? I assume you're not doing everything in-house or maybe you are, I don't know. No, we're not. So we probably did six to nine months of research before we decided to bite the bullet and, you know, hey, we're going to implement this program. Um, but we're real small. I mean, we have six full-time employees. We have 11 on staff total. Uh, we had, at the time, zero IT, computer, whatever you want to call that that sector. We had, we had nothing. So it was a long process for us to determine that this is how we want to move forward. We, pretty early on, connected with our local MEP, and that's uh, MEP stands for the Manufacturing Extension Partnership. Um, and it's called in Ohio. It's the Ohio MEP system. And uh, their job is to help us um, become a stronger manufacturing base, you know, for DOD and just in general. Our, our, the local one that we um, hooked up with is called Magnet, and they were able to secure grants for us to work on this program because we were early adopters. They were able to then also help walk us through the steps, choosing a vendor. So we opted to get a consultant to help us implement all of these requirements and um, the technology and stuff. You have the consultant to help you choose the consultant. Yeah, it, it, that's really what it was. Um, and um, our first choice, fantastic company. We figured out pretty early on that, you know, because this is new for the consultants too, to be administering this to such a large now base, you know. Um, so we figured out pretty early on as fantastic as a consultant company that they were, they're really geared towards larger business, mm. uh, much larger than us. They're geared towards, they have de entire departments for cybersecurity and IT that were, you know, larger than our entire company. So Magnet was there then to help us make that change you know don't stick with them if it's not a good fit because that that's not going to help you out in the long run magnets for often for big people so they came and well, helped you find the smaller find people that were suited for smaller yeah magnets for everybody but our original cybersecurity consultant really ended up being geared for larger companies and and magnet was able to help us redirect and find one that suited our business better uh, i see um 
And who's the smaller one? Vestige. Vestige. And they are, yeah, they're out of Medina. So they're kind of local to us as well. Medina, Ohio. Okay. Yep. Oh, so just Magnet's been great because they're they're more of a partner that, that walks you through it. And when you stumble, they're there to kind of help pick you up, reassess, and where do we go from here? Um, so you really have a, a sense of security kind of going through this process of there's somebody there to walk you through it and help you out. So you're working more with Magnet or with Vestige? We work more with Vestige on the actual implementation of CMMC. So giving them all the paperwork and the stuff that, you know, you may not have resources to do or don't want to commit resources to. Right. Yeah. So when this, um, you know, when this CMMC, when we're implementing it and they're saying, hey, you need to implement this technology, you need to protect this. Vestige is then who comes in and helps and says, you know, how are you meeting this very specific requirement? And if we're not, they're the ones that say, okay, here's technology, here's a, a program, here's whatever it is that you can implement to help meet that requirement. Who fills out all the paperwork? Do you have to do it still? Well, I will. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, right now we're in the technology side of it. And this is, I mean, there's paperwork to be sure, but it's much more about technology implementation. Uh, things like, you know, your password protection, multi-factor authentication, mm. how are you protect your, your firewall settings, your proxy servers, how are you protecting your databases? You know, there's, it's, a, it's much more geared towards how are you actually protecting that information with technology? Yeah. Ugh, we're, we're terrible so, about that. I, I hope. <laughs> Sorry. I hope yeah, nobody, I'm, nobody's listening to this that wants to break into <laughs> graphing. Well, just don't do any uh, DOD work, right? You know, then you'll be fine. But um, well, right. I, but imagine... I mean, they can steal anything they want. I mean, that's that's yeah, why you're you're much better off for other things. Thank you to everybody listening to this. It gives me a real sense of purpose knowing that people feel they get a lot of value out of the show, enough value at least to take the time to listen. Likely some serendipitous occurrence caused you to discover Swarfcast. And I know it might get tiring with me constantly talking about serendipity, but it's just on my mind a lot lately. You might have saw a promo for the show on social media or a coworker told you about it. In any case, if you know of somebody out there who would get some value out of the show, I'd like you to return the favor that you received once upon a time and spread the word. That's the only way others are going to find out about it. Back to the episode. So more or less, if, you know, as you said, this is required for sensitive DOD work. If somebody isn't doing DOD work, um, you know, it's still in their best interest to do it. What do you recommend? They, you, do you recommend everybody do it? Or is it sort <laughs> of this, you know, it makes sense for different people or... Yeah, I mean, that's not my call to make. If, if I'm looking at the big picture, if you look at back just a couple of years, uh, kind of mid-COVID when we had some shipping interruptions, and as a manufacturing base, what we saw was an explosion of work because we could no longer get, you know, import some of these parts and stuff. And we found out pretty quickly that we don't actually have enough machines, enough of a, of a manufacturing base mm. to kind of keep up with a lot of this work, right? When you look at now as a whole in manufacturing, if, you know, if there's a, an attack on us, 
um, and it takes down some of our vendors and stuff and some of these manufacturing firms, again, it really limits how much, how many items we can produce here in the United States. So I think it's just good practice to have good cybersecurity. Whether you want to go through the entire certification process for CMMC, that's a business decision uh, that you need to make. But that doesn't mean you can't follow the um, the guidelines and the procedures and the practices. Oh, that's um, and, interesting. And, so you could just choose to do it right, but without sure. maybe you save some money or, you know, I mean, obviously, if you're going through the certification and you have to do it, that probably makes you do a better job. Um, yes. Unless you've already been hacked and then you really care a lot. Well, then about you're it. doing it because, yeah, you've been hacked and you know firsthand how scary that is. Sure. Um, so there's a lot of ways to implement cybersecurity. And I think that it is our responsibility for, for everybody to have uh, kind of the minimum amounts in our sectors. But, you know, that CMMC is, is being told to us by the government, you know, that's going to be kind of the gold standard. And the reality is, is maybe not everybody has to do that program this year, but you look two, three, five, ten years from now, and we're all going to have to have some kind of a comprehensive program just to stay in business. Interesting. Yeah, you. Wow. So if you're playing the long game, even if you're in the private sector, your impression is everybody's going to have to do it. Or some kind of a cybersecurity program, for sure. I mean, even just talking to my insurance agent, he was telling me that they're starting to see, you know, your premiums can change depending on your cybersecurity level at your shop mm. and or within your business. And he said that's that's only going to continue to, to grow as um, hacking and, and security problems become an issue. Interesting. Interesting. And I know this will be different for different companies, um, but... Can you give us any estimate of what it might cost uh, to, for instance, for you guys to be CMMC and, and then the maintenance? You don't have to. I'm just curious. Sure. I, what I'm going to give you is when we first started down this path, the government was estimating it was going to be about $60,000 for the average midsize company to implement. But I you're small. You're small. Is, I mean, midsize, I, I associate with maybe 50 or 100 employees. Yeah. Or, yeah. So, you know, smaller can mean sometimes less to protect and kind of maybe less money. But really what it means is we have less resources already available to us. So we usually end up spending a small companies um, more and a, a larger percentage of our our sales and stuff then gets dedicated to this compared to a midsize, even a large company. They already have IT staff. They already have some of these practices in place. We didn't really have much of anything. So, you know, we were really starting with about nothing. Because we were early adopters with starting the program, we were able to secure a couple of grants. But I do think that it's probably going to exceed the $60,000 for implementation. Um, and then there's long-term costs of you get certified, but you're, it, the project doesn't end then. You have to continuously keep up with the new threats and they come out daily. So you're going to be constantly upgrading technology, staying ahead of it, um, getting your recertification. And I don't know right now what that is. I, maybe every three to five years. Um, we'll have to look that up. And Do you see have what somebody in-house now? Do you have an IT person? That I hired um, a few months ago. We hired an IT person. He's with us about six to 10 hours a week. And he's starting to help me um, with the technology side and and 
maintaining a lot of the programs that we've put into place so far. You know, if it reduces friction, then it makes sense, I guess. Yeah. I was going to say, now I have somebody that can help me set up my printers too. Oh, printers. <laughs> I know, right? Printers are, ah, uh, printers are, are a-holes. <laughs> They're terrible. Isn't it amazing like how printers have tortured us for like, ever since there were computers, basically, like the sprockets yep. and the paper jams and the <laughs> ink and the, it's the, the transfer from digital to analog. It just, yeah, just doesn't work. It just does not work. <laughs> it's horrible. You know, in our pre-interview before you mentioned that you need to worry about your suppliers as well. Mm-hmm. So are you constantly monitoring that and on people's case about that? Not on their case yet, but um, whether it's a customer of ours or a vendor, um, I routinely do phone calls about, you know, hey, where's your company at with the CMMC? Um, If it's going into the military stuff. Sure. Well, and I just ask everybody because, you know, our customers, just because we do a project for them that is not for the military doesn't mean that they don't have other stuff that is military based. Right. I don't know their full scope. Um, And I just like to see to to kind of just see what's going on out there, um, you know, with our customers and suppliers. Surprisingly, a lot of them know nothing about CMMC. Yeah. um, Which is a little a little scary really at this point in the game for entire companies or sectors to not have any idea that it even exists. As we move closer for us to getting our audit and certification, certainly we look closer at especially our vendors, um, especially vendors where we're maybe outsourcing some of the, the DOD work. Like, are you planning on getting your certification because we're handling potential CUI data? Um, that means you'll also have to be then certified if you want us to use you guys. Um, and it is concerning how many small, especially small businesses that, that probably aren't going to do it. We might have to look at entire new vendors for certain processes. Um, so instead of being able to take parts, you know, next door or around the block to get um, a secondary treatment, heat treat, black oxide, whatever, you know, we might have to be shipping them across state lines or across the country to a certified supplier. Well, the military contract better be, better be worth it. Right. Well, sure. It, it's definitely going to increase the cost of a lot of jobs going to the DOD. You know, if, if, if the average company even say it's the $60,000 to implement this, if you now have to absorb an additional $60,000 a year and somewhere close, maybe a little less than that ongoing to maintain the program, I mean, you have to recoup that money somewhere and it's going to be yeah. either your, your, you know, your hourly rates go up or you put, you know, you put those yeah. costs towards the, the DOD or the government work that required this program. Interesting. Interesting. You know, I'm just going to ask a few other questions just that I like to, you know, rapid fire at the end of the interview. Um, sure. Aside from this topic um, and it doesn't have to be manufacturing related. It can be. What is something interesting you've learned recently or something that you're researching and trying to learn about? Um, something crazy. We found... Uh, crazy is great. Yesterday, Love crazy. Crazy is great. Okay, great. So yesterday I drive home. My entire family is standing out in our driveway looking at something. And I go over there and here there is a carrier pigeon 
with the leg bands and it was part of a pigeon race. I guess they still do those types of things. And it was wounded now and on our property. Oh, no. And so I had to very quickly learn all about pigeon racing and carrier birds so that I could trace down the owner of this bird. Turns out it was in a race across America and it had originated in Akron. Wow. So that was some crazy stuff I learned last night. That is so interesting. Kind of interested now. I told my kids, I'm like, we're going to have to like look into this kind of stuff, you know? So, um, yeah. Like you want to get into the pigeon racing thing. I don't think I want to get into it, but I want to learn a little more about it because it's uh, definitely not something you hear about every day. That is fascinating. Who, Who knew? God. I did not. Where's just a bird in our driveway? With How do they band. train? Like, How do they train a bird to? So, <laughs> so no did idea. it have a message in it? It no. So they. they so what did you do with it? it? It was it was hurt, and you. Where did you do? Well, we we were on a small farm, so we had uh, a nice little cage and food. We we raised poultry too, so you know oh, okay. we we had the food and stuff for it. But unfortunately, is its injuries were not survivable. So. Um, it uh, it did not make it through the night, which was unfortunate. But uh, they have. Uh, I mean, it was lucky that you stumbled upon it. I mean, other people would have, you know, just been like, "Yeah, sorry." <laughs> I mean, we gave it food, water, shelter for its last moments there, so it was. At How least could you tell that it was in a pigeon race? Um, the leg band on it, the information on the leg band. I literally just typed it into Google to see what I could find. But um, they also then on their other leg, they have a little like uh, electronic tracker, so that um, when that pigeon lands wh- wherever the race ends, um, they can see the flight path it took and all that kind of stuff. So again, very interesting. I don't know all how it works yet. I think I'm gonna have to look into it just to learn because it's interesting but uh yeah there's just a pigeon in our driveway walking around and let us i mean let us pick it up i'm like this bird's got to be trained because what pigeon just lets you pick it up right that's a really that's a really interesting point the only person i can think of that had pet pigeons was uh, mike tyson supposedly he he raised pigeons no kidding yeah but for I don't know. I like mean, as race? pets. I mean, he also had <laughs> a pet pets. tiger. So, yeah. Well, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, I don't want to see a pet tiger show up on my farm. That would be too much. For well, me. I mean, a uh, baby tigers, they're cute as hell. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I, I also like to talk about uh, serendipity a lot in the podcast. Um, do you think of any specific thing in your life that, was very serendipitous and and really important to you. There's been a lot of big events that have have shaped where we've come, you know, for, for me in my life, um, us and our business. When I, um, when I married my husband and, you know, they were running the small machine shop, I had my own career and I do an environmental health and safety. So I was in the industrial sector, but doing something completely different. Uh, I originally fought pretty hard against leaving that career to come work here. I said, you know, I've never run a business. I don't, you know, I don't know how to run a machine shop. And I fought against it. And I, I finally was like, okay, let's do this. And it has been able to transform our company because we're all working together towards the same goal. You know, we have a small family business where there's three generations now in this business. And we share ownership and it works beautifully, which is not the norm for a family-owned business, right? In addition to that, 
about seven years ago, we all went together and bought a small farm. So now we all live together on the same piece of property. Three generations. Three generations, right? Yep. We each, you know, it, at this time, usually when, when we went to our lender, right, they're usually looking at how you split up small farms because each person wants to take their piece and move on, right? They want the money out of it and all these small farms are breaking up. We're doing the opposite. We're trying to all three go together. We're buying up some of the lots beside it that are empty to recreate that. Farm. Can you run a farm and, sort of part time while you run a machining business? Yeah, it turns out no, not so much. <laughs> so, so right now it's more of a hobby for us, and uh, we're I'm I'm looking forward to retirement. But you know, I, I retirement to to becoming a farmer full time to become a farmer, right? Yeah, yeah, that's my second passion: growing food, growing animals. Um, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, you know, to make that choice for us to come together as a family and all work together, you know, 20 plus years ago has led us to where we're at now, which is, um, you know, a family business that grew and, and changed with the times, got new technology, you know, didn't stagnate. Um, we didn't, you know, have family fights, couples break up or the business breaks up. And we went even further, and now we're all living together on that. Not in the same house, but on the same oh, property. Okay. We each have our is it house, organic so, food, yeah. or 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 do you no, do you go to farmers markets or and sell it there? Not yet. Nope. Nope. We're not selling anything yet. Uh, we're still in the just we we grow it and we kind of give it away to people um, or eat it and uh, or eat. Well, yeah, we eat it and stuff too, but. Uh, Right now, it's much more of a hobby. It will never replace the income that our machine shop can pay us, but uh, it, it'll be something to keep us busy. I think in our old age, you know, we we have alpacas. We, but I mean, know, how does it sustain and, you? At a, how do you keep it up if if you don't sell anything from it? Yeah. So, uh, like most hobbies, it's more of an expense than a uh, than a business at this point. Right. It's, but, it's uh, a luxury. We're working farm. our way up to it. It is right now. It is yes. So. That's, really that's where interesting. we're at. So, you know, we, we're, we're kind of going against the grain right now that, that are the trends that we typically see. But it's working for us. And, you know, we have a, a beautiful business. We have happy employees. We have happy kids. You know, got a beautiful property that we can enjoy. And, you know, we're all together on it. So it's been fantastic. Sounds like you're living the dream. We're trying. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. I don't know that CMMC fits into the dream part of it, but you know. Well, no, but you know, I mean, you have to do something that other people aren't doing. Otherwise, yes. it's just a race to the bottom. And yep. You know, you do something hard and you hopefully that hard thing is worth it cuz you could be just doing the same thing as everybody's doing. And that is hard too. And, you know, there's no money in it. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, you get you get all the headache without the payoff, right? So, yeah, I guess that uh, we've definitely made it a habit to do the different things, the hard things and, and the hopes for those payoffs. And, um, you know, it's they're, they're not just risk for the sake of risk. They're calculated and stuff. And, and we've really been fortunate in, in how it's turned out for us. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Jamie. I love this. Interview. Sure thing. Great. I enjoyed doing it. It's been nice and a pleasure talking with you, too. From today's machining world, this is Swarfcast. 
If you like this podcast, please subscribe to the show on your favorite app and give us a five-star rating and a review. And don't forget to tell your friends about it. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and todaysmachiningworld.com to join our mailing list, read episode summaries, and watch extended interview videos. I'm Noah Graff. My occasional co-host is Lloyd Graff. Our managing editor is Ridgely Dunn. Our audio engineer is Patricio Garcia. For information on advertising or to submit an idea for a future podcast, follow the contact information at todaysmachiningworld.com. Thank you.